Welcome to the Best Self Podcast. Today we have got Zach Brandon with us today. Mental Skills Coordinator for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Founder and Director of MVP Mindset Coaching. And an awesome dude in general. He's also sporting phenomenal facial hair. Uh, to be noted for our listeners that cannot see him right now. Killing it. Thanks for coming in with us today, buddy. No, thanks for the invite, Brad. Really, really uh, looking forward to chatting a little bit today. And, and that beard that you referenced, that's definitely uh, uh, a result of uh, quarantine life here. <laughs> You're not quite James Harden yet, but you look well on your way. <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm definitely taking that as a compliment. <laughs> uh, man, we were talking off air. Your juice is totally my juice. I love I love talking about the six inches between our ears. Uh, me personally, I know you would agree with this. There's, more, there's no more neglected area in business, in friendships, in athletics than the six inches between your ears. Why is it that we've got professional athletes and dudes from the largest companies in the world that are all about meditation and mindfulness and, and mindset, but we can't convince the average person to get on board. You have a theory behind that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I find early on is there's definitely a range or a spectrum of people that have familiarity and understanding with uh, mental training, mind, mindset work that, that yourself and I do on a daily, on a regular basis. And I think one of the things that I like to do early on is, is help people unpack like, well, everybody likes to talk about the mental side of, of sports, but we, we often don't think about, well, really, why does it matter? And I think part of that is at the, at the elite level or at a high performance level, um, our physical ability kind of sets this bar at what we're capable of. Really, it, it helps determine our potential. But it's really, I think, the mind that influences how close we are to get or to achieve, uh, reaching that bar, as well as how consistently are we able to be there. And I think one of the things that's been really cool to see is the growth in the field of of sport and performance psychology over time, where now nowadays it's become more commonplace especially in the baseball realm, to have coaches and practitioners available to these athletes on a regular basis. Um, you're starting to see that sprinkle into other sports and other arenas as well. But I think you hit uh, such a great nail on the head there, Brad, and that this is something that applies to everyone. Uh, everybody's a performer, whether you're a parent, whether you're a business leader, whether you're just a high school coach, regardless of what you do, all of us perform in our own way and we can all benefit from training our minds and, and working on those six inches between the ears. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, uh, I'm a big believer in you win the moment before the moment, like you win the interview before the interview, or you, you win that bat before that bat. I've heard you talk about the same stuff and that you, you don't even watch what everyone else is watching. You're watching, what's happening in the downtime? Like how are people preparing themselves? How are they breathing? How are they resetting? All that stuff. Love it. You had said, I heard you say, I, I might butcher this, freedom 
Freedom is only uh, accessible if you, gosh, I'm probably going to, but freedom is only accessible if you get beyond the fear or if you overcome fear, said something along those lines. What? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I've been on this, this kick lately, thinking about emotions, thinking about stress, fear, uh, just because I think those have just been such common themes, not just for professional baseball players, but really all of humanity in, in 2020. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how if we start to, I think the quality of our life is probably directly proportional to the quality of our relationship with fear. And what I meant kind of by that is I think when we start to um, change our perspective and redefine our relationship with fear, it actually can lead to a lot of freedom. So a lot of people, I think if you, if you listen to, um, you know, there's, there's articles, there's people that speak and, and not to say that these aren't valuable messages, but I would almost offer a counter message where I see things like try to overcome fear or try to um, develop this bulletproof armor against fear. Don't let eliminate fear, all these different things. And I'd actually say that the, the opposite, the inverse can be incredibly valuable because I think it's when you actually start to embrace what fear offers us. Uh, that's actually where there's a lot, not just freedom, but there's also um, you're, you have greater access to to power along the way. And so for me, one of the things that's been a common, uh, I guess, message amongst our players has been how do we learn to be collaborators with our emotions? Our emotions are these signals that are maybe trying to get our, our mind's attention. They're trying to tell us something's going on and in our body. And I think when we start to change our relationship with those emotions and unpack really what are they offering us and the value that they offer us, much like fear, which I know is very counterintuitive yeah, to right. as a society we view fear. Sure. Uh, to me, I think that's where, where freedom and um, really peak performance can exist. Oh, that is good. Absolutely. It's almost like fear unknowingly is a superpower. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, a great, a great example. So I think one of the things that's interesting is I think sometimes we disguise fear with other terms because we don't like to say that we're afraid. So sometimes we'll say we're feeling nervous or we're feeling stress when I think a common thread within those is often fear. Um, and I think a great example. So yesterday was the masters, right? And I, and I see you wear, wearing your the golf golf polo there. So it's perfect. Um, and as uh, one of the comments after was with Dustin Johnson, and he said he was nervous all day. And I think that's pretty telling that you have somebody who is such a high performer. He didn't just win. I mean, this was his second master or second uh, major uh, victory. So someone who has a history of success despite in that moment, he still felt that, that nervous energy. And what he did is he channeled it. He, he leveraged that into the every single moment, every single shot. And I think that provides that fear, that nervous energy really provides valuable energy that if we can actually harness it, we can use it in our favor rather than um, let it derail us. Absolutely. Leveraging fear for success. That is really good. I've heard, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of examples on along those gaps. What, uh, so how do we awaken that freedom that you're talking about? Like, is, do you have any best 
suggestions on how do we awaken that freedom that's inside us, seal those leaks in regards to fear? Is there a, a good way to go about doing that? Yeah, I, I think it really just starts with understanding that uh, fear is an emotion, right? And our emotions are experienced in the body. Yet what a lot of us do is we use the six inches between our ears to try and interpret and analyze what our body is really is really kind of feeling. And, and yes, there's some of that that has to take place. But I think it's also learning to get in tune with your body, I think is a really valuable practice that I, that, so I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the kind of core components of our uh, mental skills department within our organization is, is doing uh, guided kind of meditation and mindfulness practices. And so we spend a lot of time sitting uh, in spaces where we really try to get in tune with our, the six inches between our ears, as well as how our body feels. So we'll do things like body scanning and, and we try to help our guys develop or increase that body awareness. And then I think one of the ways that you can tie this into fear. And so I made this mistake. Um, I feel when I started, I would spend a lot of time where I would pair the a feeling with our breath. So I would say, I want you to um, breathe in, you know, peace or calm or equanimity or whatever it is that you want to breathe into your body, these more comfortable feelings. And then I want you to breathe out fear. What I've actually started to do now is the opposite where I've said, okay, now I want you to breathe in any fear that maybe recreate an experience that you've had that was uncomfortable to you and, and start to notice where do you feel that in your body? Where does it create tension? Uh, one of my mentors in grad school, uh, he used to always say that tension is our body's way of asking for attention, right? And, and when we start to get in tune with our bodies, I think you can develop um, a, a practice, whether it's through mindfulness or meditation, or even a fear practice. And getting in tune with that is something that I think uh, is one of the ways in which we can become more aware of its effect on us and how we feel it but also then from that we can then learn how to access access it to um, have more freedom as well man that's really good i had actually never thought of it that way because i've always been kind of the guy you described first you know breathe in excellence breathe you know exhale whatever but i love your your route that you're taking now because it's actually kind of falls in line with embracing struggle and leaning into struggle. I always use the example of, you know, if we were driving in a car and the back end of the car, maybe you've heard this before, where it starts to fishtail, you know, if you're driving the car, you're not going to turn your steering wheel away from the fishtail. You're going to turn it in to the skid. So you're not going to go away from the skid. You're going to lean into the skid. And, and that's how I generally um, use that. That is really good. I love that. I might steal that. Well, I might steal that, that car analogy. That's good. I, I really like that. I think that's a great, it's a great comparison. You, uh, I heard you talking one time and again, I loved it. You cause every time people assume being a good listener means you have to talk, which isn't, well, that's not what a good listener is. And you had talked about being a good uh, observer. Mm. How do we, one, could you explain what you mean by that? And then two, 
how do we how do we learn that skill set? Because some people are really poor at that. They they right away want to just jump in. How do we go about doing that? This is a this is a, a really good question, and and I think there's a couple of things that kind of come that come to mind. I think one is is learning to. It sounds really simple, but like just just pay attention, right? So right now. It's, which is really challenging in this like digital world that we're kind of all living in right now. Right. Meetings and uh, workshops and different things that are taking place are occurring via, via Zoom. And right. so we're, we have less information. It's hard. I can't see all of you, yeah. but I can see, you know, you've got, pic- you've got uh, books in the background. I can see it might be pictures of maybe family or, or, uh, or a team. It kind of looks like I'm trying to see. So, those are things now, those are our cues. Those are the things where we start to get a glimpse into um, a person's world. And, and then you start to think about, well, maybe those things start to, to, they illuminate parts of their life. They illuminate their values. They illuminate the things they care about. So if a person has books, perhaps it's that they enjoy learning, right? And that's something that's an important value of theirs. So I think this is really difficult to become a good observer in this like kind of digital landscape that we're all operating in. But I think one of the ways, and I'll go back to where I shared too, um, with mindfulness, I think that's for us, one of the best tools that we have. So one of my favorite things to do in some of the sessions that we offer is kind of like a grounding technique where I'll, I'll ask somebody, okay, tell me, tell me three things that you see right now. Uh, tell me three things you hear and tell me three things you feel. And it, what it does is it helps tune you into the present moment. Uh, it helps you tune into this external world, what's going on around you, but also with what you feel, maybe it helps you tap into uh, your internal world as well. And I think uh, so all that to say, I think how we become a better observer is we have to try to watch the thing. Uh, we have to try to be mindful of everything that's going on, right? And try to see things like you talked about. The moment really begins before the moment. Yeah. In baseball, everybody talks about routines. So one of the things that I observe and I watch a lot is what is a guy doing in the dugout before an at-bat? Or what is he doing in the on-deck circle? Yeah. Uh, that, to me, if you're not on time in the on-deck circle, yeah. Uh, when the other guy is up and the, the pitcher's on the mound and he's already delivering the next pitch, I would say that you're probably going to give yourself a better chance of being late and not on time when you're in the box. Um, and, and so I think uh, those are all things that have become really uh, important. And I think mindfulness is one of the ways in which that we can kind of develop those uh, observation skills as well. It just helps us get in more in tune. There are so many things that we we go by and we see on an everyday basis that have we kind of in autopilot that we don't stop to actually appreciate or notice nuances. So I I think uh, even just doing things in your everyday um, could be on a drive. It could be on a walk, start to notice things that maybe you hadn't noticed before. That's I think one of the best ways that we can practice that skill. Totally. I look at, I, I, you know, I look at people who are, not great at being observant. And I, I question like, what are, your, what are your intentions here? Because if your intention is to learn, like, are you listening to listen or are you listening to speak? 
Mm -hmm. Are you really trying to get answers or are you just wanting everyone to know how much you know? Uh, I think the best teachers, so I'm a lifelong educator and my business is about, and this podcast is really about listening. Uh, that's what great teachers, great coaches do. Great counselors, great mindset peeps. Uh, they listen better than the average guy. They aren't quick to tell you how much they know or show you how big time they are. They're, they understand that there's value in serving others. And that's your juice, I'd imagine. You love baseball and you love everything that goes on with the mindset stuff, but your juice is adding value to others, I'd imagine. So I, I'd, I'd question what, what, are, what is your intent if you're a crummy listener, if you're crummy at observing, maybe you need to check yourself and see if, you know, not everyone's listening skills can be as good as your facial hair, but we can try. <laughs> oh, if, if someone is rating their listening skills off <laughs> facial hair, I'm sorry, but they need a lot of work. A lot. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think you bring up such a great point there with the importance of listening in, in, in all of our professions, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's a valuable it's a valuable skill. And I think there's a couple of things that you kind of alluded to there that really resonated for me. I think one is one of the characteristics that I really admire about uh, great educators, great coaches, great mental performance practitioners, whoever, teachers, is um, this like genuine curiosity. And I don't think you get to a point of curiosity unless there's also this level of humility too. And so I think that's part of it, as you said, is not feeling like you have to um, get all of your knowledge into that conversation, but simply just genuinely trying to hear what the other person's experience is. Right. It's that we bring this up. Um, this is an older quote, and I, I apologize because I don't know who the source is, but uh, I just happened to share it this morning that, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. Right. You and I think one of the characteristics I really enjoy about the practitioners that I admire is the fact that they're willing to put themselves in rooms where they're not the smartest person, right. willing to ask questions. And then the next piece of it, and I learned this actually from, um, he is the uh, director of mental health for the NBA. And I heard him speak once and I, I just really appreciated the simplicity of this. He's like, if you really want to get better at listening, he, he said, you take the word listen and you just rearrange it. And if you rearrange it, it spells silent. And oh. like really hit me. And yeah. he was like, yes, unfortunately, a lot of us are not comfortable in silence, but when it's in the silence where you allow some of that, um, that thinking to take place and you allow that and you give that person space to really share what's on their heart. And that for me has really resonated. So I think that goes into it as well as, is uh, ask, being curious and asking the question and then just taking a step back and not saying anything at all. Yes, that is awesome. I've never heard that before. Yeah. That is great. Uh, so, you know, there's some that bridge the gap between potential and performance. You know, there's that, there's that gap in between the two, performance, and, uh, you know, wherever it is, you're, where you're starting, where you want to get. And there's all that area in between. If, if you could pinpoint one thing, you know, it could be trust. 
could be avoiding fear, could be lack of mindfulness. If you could pinpoint one thing that could help bridge that gap, what would you say that is? I know there's a lot of stuff, but. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely difficult to choose one, but I will, I'm very biased towards um, attention and focus. To me, that's, that's where accessing your true potential, um, it, it has to start there. And so um, there's, a, there's a great book, um, Rise of Superman. I don't know if you've read it or not. It's a gentleman by the name of Stephen Kotler, and he basically looks at ultimate sport athletes where, you know, if they make a mistake in their respective sports like big wave surfing um, or solo climbing, unfortunately, the consequences are, are yeah. really fatal. So um, basically what he talks about is uh, the flow states. How do we get into the, you know, the zone or in yeah. flow? And the number one trigger for flow is being in the present moment, being engaged and immersed in the present. So for me, that's what I always come back to is peak performance doesn't exist outside of the present moment. Um, in order to really tap into your true potential, I think it requires you to treat every single moment uh, with a life and death of its own and then be able to shift your focus into the next thing. Does it mean you have to be perfect on every single rep? No. But I think what separates uh, the best of the best is their ability to do that um, on demand. And, you know, I think there's a lot of great examples across different sports. You know, one to just quickly reference is, is Russell Wilson, who is obviously having a phenomenal season. He's also very vocal uh, about his use of working with the mental coach and working on training his mind. And I think part of that, you, when you hear him speak, he talks so much about um, being completely focused on one play at a time and letting go of previous plays and then being able to have a plan and commit to that plan on the next play. So I think for me, the thing that I always come back to is attention. And, and that's a, probably also where, again, I'm biased towards things like meditation and mindfulness is I think that's the way in which we can train that, that attention. That's the way we can train that presence that we're talking about. Love it. Beast mode, Brandon. Love it. Uh, so I was, I was stalking you a little bit on, uh, on the net and uh, you have some core values and I think it's your organization's core values, but I'm assuming that they align with you and discipline was one of them. Obviously an important thing that, you know, for you versus to you is a concept we talk about, especially with young people like having, you know, is discipline something people are doing for you or to you? And then there's, there's the different angles, like on, uh, you know, disciplining, actually the root is learning. Uh, but the another one you had talked about was belief. Totally get, yeah, absolutely confidence. How do we instill, how do we people, how do we get, how do we, how do we get people to get traction with that skill set that might already be in a rut? Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, good question. So I think confidence is a fun one for me to talk about because again, probably similar to the fear. Sometimes I feel like my, um, my personal beliefs towards it 
uh, go up or against the current a little bit. So I do think confidence is important to some degree. So I, I, what I would I often tell our players is everything that you do up until seven o'clock when it's the first pitch is going to influence your confidence level. Um, you have up until that point to uh, do things in your preparation, both physically, both mentally, uh, that are going to contribute to that belief level. But then the moment the game starts, at that point, I actually no longer really care what your confidence is. At that point, what really matters is with whatever you do have in that day, you give 100% of it. And um, so the, the way we have kind of packaged it for players is there's this difference between our capacity and our capability. Capability is 100%. It's when everything falls in line. It's that flow state. It's being in the zone. Uh, everything comes together. Our capacity is what we have on a given day. And if you ask Major League Baseball players, very, very rarely are they at 100% capacity. You know, it's a long season. This year was a condensed season, and I still say the vast majority of the time, players were not operating at 100%. What does matter is that if you're only at 75%, you give 100, 100% of that 75 yeah. So that's just, uh, that didn't even answer your question at no, all. No, love confidence. it. But that's where my mind initially goes. But to come back to it just briefly here, I think the other thing that's really important, and uh, one of the books that has been a, a inspiration, I guess, for me and kind of my views towards confidence is a book called The Confidence Gap. And what it talks about is there's two definitions of confidence. One is a feeling of certainty, which I think is the one we often associate with it, feeling uh, as though that we, are conf uh, we have belief in whatever skill or task we're about to do. And it's a feeling. And then the other one is an act of trust. And what it talks a lot about is confident actions are more important than confident feelings. And, and so for me, one of the things that will, will help players try to understand is um, when you may not have those feelings of confidence, that's not the end of the world. There, what matters more in those moments is developing and utilizing confident actions. Um, doing things like what you talked about earlier is it, it begins before the moment begins. It's what are you doing uh, from an action standpoint up until that moment? Uh, to fuel your own confidence and your own belief. So for me, uh, we spend a lot of time trying to help our players understand confidence is going to, and belief is going to be fostered across a range of different sources from your previous successes and previous uh, performances. It's going to come from developing and learning new skills. It's going to come from the preparation that you put in, uh, but it also can come through those mental reps as well and the teens and those those confident actions along the way just to name a few so um i don't even know if that answered your question <laughs> so i apologize no. if i just hijacked that but no i'll still talk to you perfect <laughs> no that's cool you kind of covered a lot of stuff because i was also going to ask you about how you mental map poise like uh, how do we but kind of along the same lines um, and kind of leading into composure, I would imagine those kind of all tie in as well. I mean, winning the moment before the moment kind of allows you to have composure when you trust, when you trust your preparation, 
and I can't remember who said this either, but failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Like you're building your resume before you get into the big moment, before the big interview or the big at bat or the big play or the big, you usually know if they're going to say yes, if you're proposing. Uh, I mean, you usually have a concept on that stuff. Um, and of course the Kaizen, 1% better is fantastic concept. Uh, I'm all about that. Uh, I spent an hour talking with someone else on that this morning. Absolutely. Do you ever have a problem convincing the people you work with the Kaizen concept? That's a good question. I don't know if I've been asked that before. I, I think... I think what's important to understand is like with Kaizen, like for me, the way we have packaged it is Kaizen is kind of, it, it is that growth mindset, right? It's, mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the things that we know about a growth mindset is you uh, having a growth mindset isn't necessarily universal. So you may have a growth mindset in one facet of your life, but it doesn't mean that you have a growth mindset in another facet. It does, it's not a given or a guarantee. Right. And so I think one thing that we do see sometimes is uh, having to help players understand that uh, this mentality of hunting 1% improvements extends beyond just the physical skills, because I think those ones are easy and, and understandably so we can see those things. Yeah. You know, if I go in and do a 10 minute mind uh, meditation session, it's very common for players to walk out of there and feel like I don't really know what that did for me. But that's no different than going into the weight room one time, doing a workout, and then leaving there and not doing anything the next few days. Yeah. So helping players understand that this idea of hunting 1% improvements can really occur in, in all facets of performance. And I think what's cool is we have seen that grow immensely in things like strength and conditioning. We've seen that grow now teams have dietitians yep. and athletes are being more purposeful in their eating habits, yep. and, uh, hydration habits. Uh, it's extended to all these different things, including I think mental skills, but I also know that it has um, certainly room to grow. And I think that's why for us as an organization, we value so much, not just talking about mental skills, right. but also like, let's practice them. Yep. Let's get better at them because one of the things that we know is, again, if you just come in haphazardly uh, when things are going south, you may not get the same benefits as if you're there deliberately every single day, proactively putting these tools in place. So that way, when the storm comes, you've got something to weather it, right? Because right. the storm's going to come at some point. Right. Make the decision to be a professional baseball player. At some point, you're going to experience a storm, if not multiple. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's better to have those tools in place ahead of time. No doubt about it. You know, you talking about being intentional. I love I, you. You frequently use the word hunt. Mm. I love that. I do the same thing. I think there's a difference between looking for something and hunting for it. Hunting is much more intentional. If you're just looking for something, that's kind of vague to me. If you're hunting for something, I'm hunting for a specific job or I'm hunting for a specific pitch. Or if I'm a football player, I'm a quarterback. I'm hunting for a specific coverage or, you know, you're, if you're hunting, you're intentional. So I like that. 
Uh, well, I like that because it reminds me of like, you know, sometimes this is semantics and just wor which words resonate for people, but it, it reminds me too of like purpose, right? Yeah. And when you have purpose, that's a performance enhancer. When you know why you do something, it changes how you do it. Yeah. And I think that's really valuable in that sense is having purpose for what you're doing, having intention for what you do. Uh, and that's why those are things that we, we try to blend into uh, those practices and those sessions that we offer. Yeah, that's awesome. A uh, couple more things and I'm kicking you to the curb, homeboy. Perfect. Yeah. You had talked about core mental. I've, I've seen you talk about core mental skills and I thought it was a fun an analogy or comparison. You talked about breathing and you said, if you want to see people who breathe well, go look at babies or snipers. <laughs> I one, I thought that was cool. And then two, what, what do you mean by that? Could you go a little more deep, deeper detail on babies and snipers and breathing? You mean it's not obvious? <laughs> babies and snipers? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, so, I think one of the, that's a comparison that I've, I've used for several years now that I think helps capture some of the techniques, you know, cause everybody talks about breathing. Yeah. There was a great, again, to reference the masters from yesterday, I think it was on maybe the 17th hole, but the commentator made a comment about breathing. It showed Dustin Johnson taking a breath. And then he started commenting about breathing, not just in golf and performance, but across all sports and how important it is. And it was really kind of cool um, moment that again, it's everybody talks about it. Most athletes have grown up hearing, Hey, take a breath. So the reason why I, I use those examples is one of the things we talk about is breathing from within your diaphragm and breathing more from your stomach uh, and your belly than we do your chest. And if you watch a baby breathe, it's all stomach, you know, that's is just ballooning up and down. Um, snipers and, and the way that they're trained, we're fortunate we have um, one of our mental skills coaches on our staff had spent the last couple of years training soldiers who were um, training to become Green Berets. And so we've learned a lot from her as far as the techniques that they use um, with soldiers when it comes to breathing. And so they teach kind of these same things of teaching uh, snipers how to shoot between heartbeats, heartbeats and train their stomach. So the, what I, the, I've, what I've actually started to do though as well, and this is actually pulled a little bit from our strength and conditioning staff, because I think it's really important that if you're a mental coach out there and you, you can work with your strength and conditioning or your medical team, I think it's really helpful to have common language. And so one of the things that they talk about is breathing in 360 degrees and they have different exercises. And so breathe from your stomach, but breathe as if you were pushing out air um, in 360 degrees. And so that's actually now the, the terminology that I, I use a little bit more just to help kind of capture, not only does that provide the physiological benefits that we know that can then influence things like our attention and our, our decision-making and all these like mental uh, concepts. But we also know that that type of breathing can influence um, how the body moves and, and help put the body in a better position to move. So it's kind of a two for one, if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love to talk about breathing. Breathing's another fun one. I think again, 
as you know, as you've clearly seen in the last half hour, I'm very biased towards being uh, in the moment with attention. To me, the best anchor to the present is the breath. Yeah. Yeah. It puts you, yeah, absolutely. I'm the same way. I got a super serious question for you here. You're at a, you're at a wedding reception. Can you describe your dance moves on the floor, please? Gosh, this is too fitting that you, uh, you asked this. So I, I most, this is when people ask for fun facts, I don't use this very often, but I'll use it today. I actually took a modern dance class in Ooh. college Huge. and I perform. And then I also lettered in dance in high school. Wow. Those are some fun facts. Now that does not equate to having dance moves. <laughs> oh, Gosh, the, re- the best person to ask would probably be my wife to really answer this question well. Um, I would say whatever the opposite of smooth is, that's <laughs> how I would describe my dance moves. You're more of like a jackhammer on the dance floor. You're just, <laughs> get out of the way. My, she re- uh, regularly says I'm a bull in a china shop. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, my yeah. wife once split her dress dancing on a floor at a wedding reception. (laughs) Talk about a a great moment to practice. (laughs) Yeah. She didn't realize it for about two songs that like an 80 year old lady came up to her and told her her butt, her butt was showing. (laughs) Yeah. We had to leave shortly thereafter. Classic. (laughs) So, Hey, you've got 30 to 45 seconds to talk to our listeners how can they out improve their previous best self? Good question. I think it's all about, um, again, hunting victories in the moment. So regardless of where you're at, uh, whether you're having a conversation with someone, the person in front of you is the most important person in the world. And you give your full focus and attention to that. If you're a parent, all right, parenting is a high performance sport in its own right. It's being immersed in the moment with your kids. Uh, If you're a coach, it's ensuring that that practice session, if not that conversation with your athlete is the best. To me, I think the best way to improve ourselves is to give 100% of what we have into the next moment. And so the more often we do that over time, I think you have those uh, that Kaizen effect of 1% gains. Awesome, buddy. Rock star stuff today. I really, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation and, and hopefully uh, for those who listen, hopefully they were able to extract something of value. Amen. Hey, best of luck to the Diamondbacks and uh, best of luck to your mindset coaching and uh, make it a great day, buddy. <laughs>